What up, party people? Thank you for downloading our podcast. This is our review for the eighth episode of American Horror Story Coven called The Sacred Taking, where, again, nobody stays dead. Don't forget we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash This American Horror Story Podcast, and we're on iTunes. All right, let's go. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast of the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. How's it going, man? It's been a minute. How was your Thanksgiving? It was excellent. It was a very nice, relaxing, fun Thanksgiving. How about yours? Good. Um... Uh, lots of family were in town, and uh, not too many awkward family arguments over the Affordable Care Act. I was happy That's about nice. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was super warm. It was like 70, 75 degrees the whole time I was oh. back. Yeah. That sounds very nice. To be in California. Here in Cincinnati, it was frigid. But uh, that was okay, because I was inside with uh, some warming cocktails watching football with the heat on. So Nice. Can't beat that. Yeah, well, Absolutely. Good to be back. Yeah, we hope all of you listeners had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Um, but we're excited to be back uh, discussing the show, at least for the next two weeks, I think, and then right. we have a holiday break a little bit. Um, before we really dig into this episode, we want to cover some comments and different things that you guys sent in. But as always, before we kind of dig into that, um, we want to remind you to send any questions and comments our way at This American Horror Story. At gmail.com. Of course, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash This American Horror Story Podcast. Check us out on Stitcher, if that's your fancy, at This American Horror Story Podcast. And, of course, give us ratings and critiques on iTunes. We really appreciate that. iTunes, This American Horror Story Podcast. What are you drinking this evening, my friend? I have a little bourbon on the rocks. Uh, what do you have? Oh, I'm drinking bourbon as well. This is the my staple drink from last season, which was bourbon and cider, although I'm drinking it hot this evening. What kind of bourbon are you drinking? Uh, Breckenridge. I have some left over, so it's mm. fancy. I, I had it as a housewarming gift a couple months ago, and my uh, pantry's dry because I ate everything before I went home for Thanksgiving and drank everything, so this is what I got left right now. Sounds nice. I have got four roses, which... Uh, oh, I love four roses. Favorites. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, always a wonderful choice. So, I would like to talk about some of the um, emails we got in from uh, listeners, some of the theories we kind of had going on here. The first one I want to talk about is just, um, we have another, we've kind of discussed this in the past, another acid thrower theory from our friend uh, Daniel, who sent us in an email. And his theory is, um, him and his wife believe that Fiona is the one who is responsible for the acid throwing. Um, because... You know, we know that she framed Myrtle, and she doesn't seem to be that worried about finding out who the culprit is for blinding Cordelia. And I could see some of the... Uh, I, I could understand drawing that conclusion. Personally, I though feel... I mean, obviously, we're still not sure who the acid thrower is. I personally feel like Fiona has shown herself to care too much about Cordelia at this point, or revealed herself to care more about Cordelia than we realized for her right. to be... Uh, the acid thrower, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree, especially after, you know, in, uh, uh, in retrospect from this episode, we Uh hear her talk a lot about, 
you know, the hardest thing is to tell your daughter you're going to die. And she, you know, saying goodbye to her biggest failure. You can see that that relationship really weighs on her. Exactly, exactly. Um, So I think this episode definitely added context too. But I definitely appreciate the theory. Also, Daniel wanted to give a shout out to his beautiful wife, Jessica, who he says is truly the light of his life. And they recently celebrated their 18-year anniversary. They're junior high sweethearts and have been together since eighth grade. That's really impressive, Daniel. And thanks for sharing that. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations to you and Jessica. And thanks so much for listening. We uh, appreciate you giving your feedback and discussing your thoughts on the show with us. Uh, Chris, you had an email you wanted to talk about. I do. And this one is something that I don't know if we've spoken about too much, but maybe not on our show, but definitely you and I have brought this up in the past. Um, Anyway, I'll I'll read it. But uh, the subject line is, we get it, Ryan Murphy. And this is from uh, Michael in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Hey guys, big fan of the show. Just wanted to make a point that I'm sure has crossed your mind while watching. If you want to read any of this out in the podcast, feel free to edit, blah, blah, blah. I did edit a little bit, Michael. Uh, Firstly, don't get me wrong. I'm not a chauvinistic douche. I actually really like that AHS is targeted at least partly, if not majorly, at women. I don't know completely about that because if you watch the commercials, it's a lot of booze and video games. But anyway, that's being stereotyped stereotypical there okay anyway back to his email it really sets the show apart from others uh of the same or similar genre my girlfriend who hates true horror shows and films can sit down and watch this with me which is great what does bother me however is that in every one of the seasons so far ryan murphy has let his very obvious distrust of men in general overshadow the series and he gives a few points here in season one the male lead, Ben, was a lying cheat with a temper. We were made to feel distaste for him the whole way through. Even Tate was a character who had done horrific things, lied about them, and barely showed regret. Season 2 was his favorite. But he says, Jessica Lang's performance in this season was incredible. Although, again, most male characters were made to be cruel and sadistic murderers and torturers who manipulated everyone around them. Granted, Kit was a very likable character, though he relied on the women around him for strength. Season 3 is clearly going to be female-focused, given the whole witch thing, but yet again, we find every major male character to be either a liar, Hank and Spaulding, a cheat, Hank, or an utter waste of our time, motherfucking Kyle. Uh, it has made what it is a great show very predictable. I hope the next season is quite so heavily influenced by Ryan Murphy's uh, daddy issues. Uh, interested to hear your thoughts on this guy's Michael. Uh, and then he also says, oh, and as a side note, no girl is going to waste her time having sex with Frank and Kyle. Please, regardless of how nice the penis they attach to him is, it is, simp- it is a simple fact that a guy without a brain is never going to do the job. <laughs> um, I, I I agree that we don't really get uh, upstanding male characters in any of these uh, um, shows for the most part. Uh, or they're very dependent characters, as Kyle is this season and as um, uh, Kit was last season. But I also want to throw in there that I think after this episode, we can see that he also might have some mommy issues because of the way um, uh, Patty Lapone's character, Joan, uh, acts with her son in this. And obviously, the relationship between Fiona and Cordelia. I mean, there's there's some mommy issues happening there, too. What did you think? I very much agree with you on that point. And I, I mean, clearly we have some, we have a number of flawed male characters, but we have a number of flawed female characters too. And even though, I mean, 
I can see where he's coming from when saying, you know, we we haven't had a male character who's really the epitome of all that is, you know, good or, or manhood or anything like that. But when you really think about it, have we had a female character that's really been like that either? We've had a lot of females that have redeemed themselves, but it seems like a lot of the male characters we've had have struggled with the same stuff. You know, yeah. Ben from season one was a cheat, but he was trying to be better, and you got the feeling that he really did love and care about his family, right? And, I mean, season two, you know, Kyle had his flaws, or sorry, Kyle, Kit. Oh, Kit had his flaws, clearly, but um, he was trying to do the right thing as well, even at the end when he had, you know, two wives, two kids... And, I mean, even Tate, too, in season one. I mean, he was clearly insane, but he loved Violet, and I think, I mean, he was disturbed, but he, he, a lot of these characters just seem torn or troubled, but are trying to find their way, too, you know? So, the guys aren't I mean, really getting too much redemption for the most part, though. No, that's they, true. They have They're, much more awful paths to travel and they're more likely to be awful people in general i mean i'm thinking asylum big time i would yeah i would say that well i mean obviously asylum we had some really sinister male or male characters that didn't get redeemed at all and i'm talking of course about arden and uh bloody face, face. threadson Right. But uh, as for our other male characters we've discussed, I think one of the interesting points to make is that the female characters that are troubled typically have gotten redeemed, whereas the male characters, I don't know that that's really been the case. I mean, look at the loose end with Tate in season one, um, kind of cut off from Violet forever. And we have... He did murder tons of teenagers. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not justifying that even a little bit. I'm just saying, like, the male characters, they don't achieve redemption. Whereas, like, in season two with, you know, Judy, nurse, or, uh, sorry, <clears throat> Sister Judith, we do see her redeem herself pretty much by the end, you know? And so it seems like, the yeah, I would say that the female characters are re- re- or achieving redemption more so than the males. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, anyway. definitely. I I do think that, like Michael said, though, I, I there's there's this kind of distrust of men in general. It's a great point, and I I definitely agree with that too. Um, last thing I want to bring up is obviously we got so much feedback, and we really appreciated appreciated everybody about uh what your feelings on Madame Lalaurie were, and surprisingly to me, not so surprisingly to Chris, so many of you wrote into agree with Chris and feel say that you were feeling sympathetic toward her. Thank you. Um, I, there's one in particular that I wanted to read a couple bits about uh, from our friend Josh who sent in. Um, he felt, as you and I both had before, that the LaLaurie storyline is among the most compelling, for sure. And he talks about not liking her at first, but that he feels as if his view on her has evolved and that the show is pretty much bringing to question the very essence of evil. Um, is evil something that you are born with, or is it some external force that invades a human soul? Uh, the show seems to agree with the latter, he says. At the end of the last episode, we see Marie Laveau applying blood to her face with a brush in the same way as LaLaurie. This could be symbolic gesture drawing a comparison to LaLaurie, or it may be indication that Laveau has come to harbor the evil that once resided in 
Lalaurie. If evil is an external force, then it is difficult to blame Lalaurie for being anything more than a culturally influenced racist. And I feel like we had a couple other people that uh, felt like Lalaurie put in the time and that her efforts to redeem herself were worth it. I think we had another really interesting one that was saying, like, biblically, she has gone through the stages to be redeemed, too. Uh, what were your takes on all these people coming to your defense? Hey. I loved it. I didn't think anyone would. I, I really thought I was in the minority here. But, uh, yeah, people definitely stepped up. But at least I think I called it out or I propositioned it um, as more of a, hey, please come defend me. <laughs> don't don't make me be the only one. And that's who came out to, to, to comment for to us about it. But um, I, I would... I want to read uh, one that we got from Martha on Facebook real quick. Uh, at last one. And it really summarizes exactly what we're trying to, what I, how I felt at least. And I, it sounds like how at least uh, a bunch of you who wrote in feel. She says, uh, responding to your thoughts on Lalaurie redemption debate. In the church, this is what you said, sins aren't considered atoned for until the person has confessed their sins, shown repentance, and then turned away from those sins. Um, as you were talking about, uh, and then she says, while I think she did some terrible, horrible things, which is what we've been saying, like, it's not, you know, it's not that she's forgiven. It's she, she's recognizing this. And when she was asked if she, uh, to, to, um, what her most horrible thing she has ever done was by Queenie, she, she tells her, she, she tells her, which means she's, uh, at least in Martha's opinion, she's convinced her that she's sorry and she's changing her behavior. Also, she's had uh, to endure lifetimes underground in her own personal hell. Uh, but ultimately, I do think uh, she will have to die in order to redeem herself with the audience. I, but I can't help but like her. Thank you, Martha. I agree completely. And I'm happy to see <laughs> someone else is on board with this. It seems as if quite a number of people were. And I, I mean, it's definitely interesting and something I want to continue to debate because I feel like there is... I mean, you can develop arguments for both sides of it. And right. so I guess without further ado, I want to jump right into what I consider to be the Queenie storyline here, sure. which is the one that follows kind of Lalaurie, because it brings up those questions yet again. So let's enter. So let's take the uh, our before credits scene. We see Queenie underneath a freeway pass, um, walking past a bunch of burnouts. I actually thought this was supposed to, initially I thought this was a flashback of Queenie in Detroit, that we we're going to get some mm. backstory on her. Um but we find out that that's not the case. She uh, pretty much gets propositioned by some guy who thinks she's uh, taken the raw, you know, taken a shortcut that got her into some trouble or whatever. And he's basically going to sexually assault her when she grabs a plank with some nails in it and voodoo's him basically. That was and, tight. I mean, we kind of like whenever she picks up a weapon, it's like, all right, come on, Queenie, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Ah, she did it. I mean, once again, that is such a compelling power that it's entertaining to see used at any point in time, as violent as this scene was. And we have her take the guy out. Um, of course, out of nowhere, Madison and Zoe show up, which is when I realized, oh, we're not in Detroit. Um, and try to convince her to come back to the Salem Coven. And Queenie basically says, I'm not coming back. There's two sides now. There's the Salem Coven and there's the voodoo witches. And I'm one of the voodoo witches. And right. I'm working for Marie Laveau. And then she pulls a uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom move <laughs> and pulls the guy's beating heart from his chest and says that Laveau needed a dark heart uh, from this. Basically, apparently, somehow she knew the guy was a child rapist or something. Yeah, to, he's raped three girls or something like that. Right, to make some potion to 
make Queenie herself more powerful. And she kind of ends it with this quote about how um, war is coming. It kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a powerful moment here. Um, okay, so this is our opening scene. We go there and we cut to credits. We always discuss this. What did you, t- as, as far as overarching themes from this scene, right. what do you take away? Uh, my first theme is hats. Because again, <laughs> here come our witches, the two white girls in their hats. Uh, but seriously, I, I would say um, the theme I think that uh, Queenie conveys with uh, the question, they're like, like especially when Madison's like, oh, boo-hoo, like a few mean girls made fun of you and you ran away, you know, grow up. Mm-hmm. But when Queenie says war is coming, I think this scene really is setting up um, a, an episode of choice. What side are you choosing? Who are you choosing to be friends with? Who are you choosing to associate with? There's always choices here, and uh, and who, in which direction you're you want to take your life. Um, we'll, we see this later on uh, in simpler versions in like the love triangle. You know, who's Kyle going to choose, and and uh, um, are they going to choose to go through and and kill uh, um, Fiona? Like it's all about choice. You know, will will um, sorry, will Queenie try to uh, help Lalori because she feels guilty, or will she choose to stay with um, um, Marie Laveau and be on her side? Because all these people, like they they kind of they're kind of flip flopping or wishy washy on where their allegiance lies. You kind of have an idea of where they belong, but even within these, uh, um, even within the coven or or whatever group that, that you think that they belong in. They're still wavering around in their allegiance or their loyalty to people within that. There, there's rifts everywhere, so it's all like, who are you going to choose? Where are you going to choose? That's that was my kind of take from that. I, I absolutely agree with you. I feel like this was about choice and about consequence, and you really have them set it up. And obviously, if we're discussing. Voodoo's, it seems to me, has kind of been out to, or they kind of make it out to be like dark magic. And that's why she talks about she needs like a dark heart. And um, you're kind of, you have this yin and yang they're setting up between the, you know, the Salem coven and the Voodoo coven. But you're right. At the same time, you have all these different opposing forces and you're kind of, everyone's kind of slowly filtering into their alliances. You've got Hank the Witch Hunter. You have the Salem coven split against Fiona, but you have Spalding on Fiona's side. And even within the Salem Coven, aside from Fiona, you have a little bit of a dynamic between Zoe and Misty as to who, which one is the real Supreme, which we're kind of left to or Nan. consider. Or Nan. Or Nan, who is pretty offended that no one's even considering her. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you even have Patty Lapone and her creepy relationship, you know. Yeah, her- something's up there. Not only her relationship, but something's up with her in general. They're, like She's not just some super Christian yeah, like, like there's something bigger. Nuts, I but, think. Anyway, but yeah, it's all about yeah, light and dark, yin and yang. Dip, where, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like Lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And I think that's. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic going forward. Um, so let's follow this Queenie storyline a little bit because it doesn't. I mean, until the very end, it doesn't quite intersect with anything else. Right. So we have um, Queenie. Well, we we kind of focus in on Madame Lalaurie, who's caged up back in Marie Laveau's. The back of Marie Laveau's salon, Hair salon, which we'd seen, yeah, which we'd seen um, in the last episode of the episode before that, 
And Queenie comes in and is showing her some mercy. She brings in a burger, which, as we will remember, is the uh, last meal they shared together before Queenie betrayed her. Right. Um, so we're seeing a little bit of kindness out of Queenie. Did you get the feeling that Queenie was kind of regretting it all? Her decision? God, yeah, she's here? guilty. Def- she feels guilty, I mean. Um, she can, I mean, while the picks up on that and senses that. I think Queenie is genuinely a good person. She's just getting pulled um, confused, manipulated. And confused. Yeah, and mani- extremely manipulated. Even though she calls out in the opening scene, she calls out um, uh, to um, she calls out Fiona when she's talking with um, Zoe and says like, you know, oh, did did Fiona tell you the uh, you're the next supreme too? Um, she pulled that bullshit on me also. Like, you know, she she's smart. She's getting smarter maybe, but she she's got to know that she's getting somewhat manipulated by Laveau. But Laveau also is playing this, like, historical context, you belong with us, um, not with those white girls uh, cards. So that's that's a deeper one to try to fight. Exactly. And I think it's interesting. I mean, I feel like... And I mean, this is just a theory, but I, I get the feeling that Laveau, like we've said, is not only manipulating Queenie, but she's using Queenie to do her bidding in different senses, such as going and getting this guy's heart or whatever. But I don't know that if I get the feeling Laveau actually cares about Queenie right. as a person, as much as she's using her as a tool in this war and this vendetta against Fiona. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if down the line here we see Queenie do some sort of self-sacrificial thing that uh, where she realizes that it's not about, you know, voodoo or Salem Coven. It's not about skin color or anything like that is about who cares about you and somehow you know she she does something to help out her, her um, girls. yeah her girls back in, in the Salem Coven whether that's sacrificing herself or you know right. um, tr- changing sides and helping out right but anyway Laveau catches well first of all LaLaurie um, like you said picks up on you know Queenie's potential second guessing and says why what did I do to deserve this betrayal but before Queenie even really gets a chance to say anything. We see Laveau catches Queenie trying to feed LaLaurie. And um, LaLaurie kind of taunts Laveau. Right. She plays the uh, you're you're my slave card. What do you think was her endgame here? I was thinking, like, my girlfriend and I were were discussing this, and she said, oh, is she a racist again here? And I I, I didn't think so. I thought that LaLaurie was just trying to piss Laveau off to the yeah. point where she buries her again or something like that so that way she just gets away and there's you know she'll come back in a hundred years or whatever yeah. just so that way she's not attacked or anything like that I thought that was her endgame what did you think yeah I think she I think she was pushing the button she knew she could she could push because she's tired and in her mind there was nothing more that that Laveau could do to her she's immortal so she's not gonna die you're not gonna kill me uh, or you can lock me in the box again and she's like I'd rather go back to that box I don't care uh, yeah, I, I've seen enough of this world, so I think she was pushing the one button that she that she had over uh, Laveau, which is you know treating her like the maid. And she, even mm-hmm. though Laveau's like, "I'm not your maid," and then yeah, says there well, are things I can do to you, and she does. That's a pretty gruesome scene. She chops the hand right off of Lalaurie. Oh, I like that scene uh, with these two actresses too. They're great together. Mm-hmm. They got a good. They got a good dynamic. It's. I mean, they they have the spark between them when they're pushing each other's buttons, like you said. It's it's intense. I enjoy it, too. Um, and, of course, we'll get back to kind of how that ends at the end of our discussion here. 
Real quick, before we get into kind of the main Salem um, coven storyline, let's talk real quick about this kind of a little bit of a, a, a Nan, Luke, Patty Lapone side storyline. What's Patty Lapone's character again? Do you remember Joan. her name? Joan. Joan. Okay. So this kind of uh, storyline starts with Joan berating her son Luke for spending time with the Satan worshippers next door, basically. Right. And what does she do? She basically, uh, am I correct in, in this, that she gives him, him an a, a, yeah, a rectal enema with Ajax and water. Like, like cleans, yeah, time to cleanse you. She cleanses innards in uh, the most literal way possible, which cannot be good for poor Luke here. I know, that kid, um, poor Luke had to take, uh, you know, that's why he's so fit and skinny, because he's just blowing all his uh, insides <laughs> out. It must burn like hell when he takes Burn like shit. hell and that kid had to take off a few hours from the gym. He's probably pissed. <laughs> All he does is lift weights and get maternal enemas. God, again, more mommy issues. Just like Kyle's mom was freaking weird. That's Ugh. true. That was. There's another example of mommy issues. Yeah, I was wondering if she was going to do some nasty sort of molestation kind of now, thing. We already have one character well, doing that. <laughs> yeah, we got enough of that. That doesn't need to be a continuing theme. I, well, but I, I will tell you, I was getting, um, if you've ever seen Carrie or read the book Carrie, Stephen King, I was mm-hmm. getting uh, Carrie's mom vibes off of this. Like, we need to look. cleanse you. Jesus, you need Jesus. Religious now. Well, that, great great uh, homage. Yeah. There. Um, so back at the Salem Coven, we have Nan sort of getting irritated with everyone else because Basically, no one thinks she could be the supreme. Yeah, because she kind of keeps her armpits smell like fish sticks. <laughs> there were some good insults in this episode. There, I, I think I, I will say I think it's because Ryan Murphy penned this episode. So yeah, and yeah. There was as some... he is on Glee, he's good with these one-liners. <laughs> there was some good one-liners in this episode, um, but they they give Nan some shit, and she's pissed because no one thinks that she has the ability to be the supreme. So right, she said she's going to run over to where people really do care about her. Who I mean, Luke is who she's referring to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, she opens... So, did she open the door with her mind? Is yeah. that what you well, thought happened, she, too? She hears him, like, screaming through her head, and she's like, I gotta go see what's up over there. And I think... And like you said, she's furious that no one's taking her seriously. So, yeah, she when she gets to the door, she looks at the doorknob, and it opens. And that's what mm-hmm. I, I thought it was her. So, her... I, I yeah. like everyone's powers are growing here. It does seem like everyone's powers are growing, and I don't know if that's just a strategy to confuse us as to mm-hmm. who the next Supreme is actually going to be. Right. Or maybe there isn't, I mean, maybe there isn't going to be one Supreme. Maybe it's like everyone is growing more powerful for some reason. But interesting, you know, if you picked up on that, I think, like we both did, an interesting thing to consider. Of course, we see that uh, Hank is outside mm-hmm. and watches her run into the house. Um, she finds Luke, of course, tied up in the cupboard. And they, where I'm assuming his mom was tying him up after that. That's very Carrie as well. Also very yeah. Harry Potter. Right, to further punish him. Um, he's pretty muscular to have his mother just tie him up and stick him in a closet. Yeah, come on, but, Luke. <laughs> but uh, as they're escaping, Patty Lapone finds them. And was, was she on the phone with the police? Is that what you... Yeah, she said the, okay. there are, there's an intruder in my house. Right. And so... Luke is about to confront his mother, it kind of seems like, when all of a sudden we see bullets flying through the window, and obviously we can only assume this is Hank. Right. Um, starts shooting silver bullets into the house and kills Joan and, like, nearly kills Luke, basically. Yep. 
Because he's trying to save Nan. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, we can only assume that Hank was out to get Nan, and that's why he was shooting at the house, I suppose. Right. But it's kind of um, weird. He shot Joan three times. And yeah, he had, there mean, was a laser pointer on that, so he has a scope right. on that thing. He knows who he's shooting, and it showed up on Joan. So jo- something is up with Joan. She's something not is totally she is. Something's totally up with Joan, and I don't know that she's necessarily a witch, but maybe she's some sort of like evangelical um, exorcist, sort of like has some sort of right exorcism powers or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, I could see that. I mean, she's had something supernatural because the bullets she was shooting, she was shot at with, were those blessed silver bullets that um, that we find out later that um, uh, Cordelia picks up and touches and sees like the, the shooting happen. Well, I just assumed that those were, like, typical witch-killing bullets needed to be silver-coated or something like that. But um, Well, she had the flashback when she touched them of right, Joan right, getting right. shot. So right. I thought they were, like, part of that attack. No? Yeah. No, no, I, th- I do think they were definitely um, part of the attack. Um, I'm just... I think that those might just be maybe his, his Hank's standard witch-killing bullets and he just shoots... Mm, oh, them. oh, okay. So, right. who knows there, though. But, uh, okay, so back to the beginning of the storyline. We kind of um, have Fiona monologuing about her cancer in her spine um it is a long monologue Uh, she can't eat she just keeps vomiting we have this montage excuse me of her writhing on the floor in pain she has a couple good quotes in here this is as if i'd been dipped in the river sticks and something about all the suffering souls in that river uh basically being absorbed into her body so we have some kind of greek mythology references here which we've seen a number of greek mythology references in this season i mean think back to the minotaur as well and uh she's looking into the mirror uh examining her beauty which also i didn't even have we even discussed this comparison before that fiona is a little bit of the um the witch from snow Snow White. white Yeah, yeah, I think we I think we re- referenced it like really early on, but it's coming more and more true, especially in a scene like that. Oh, I mean, they were, I, clearly I feel like that was something they were intentionally trying to make us think of with the whole mirror, mirror, and she's examining her beauty, and obviously we're thinking of Madison and all the other younger, more beautiful witches back at the coven, and we see her. Um, you know, she's in her monologue. She discusses telling Cordelia about her cancer, and Cordelia couldn't give a shit. She wants her to die already. Um. Meanwhile, the ex she she's still hanging with the ex man, who wants her to run away with him, but she's afraid of him. Kind of seeing her decay. It seems like she's. I mean, she even says that she's not so scared of dying as she is of scared of becoming ugly, um, right. and just painful and kind of being dying a shell of herself. Which you think that would make her more inclined to kill herself than to kind of rot away, but she won't kill herself either. She says because. She wants to live for the simple sake of spiting others. Right. Right. But she kind of ends this segment by saying the reason her cancer is moving so quickly is because whoever the Supreme is is gaining power uh, very quickly. She's coming into her own. Yeah, she's sapping it from her. And, of course, that's a big question of this episode is who Who is the the next Supreme? Supreme. Mm -hmm. God, every time I say that, I want to go, Diana Ross. (laughs) I love the Supremes. Ugh. Ugh. Playout music. You're going to have to put on some Supremes <laughs> for the playout music this episode. Um, back at the Coven, Cordelia and company are plotting to kill Fiona. They, when, a freaking out Misty shows up at the door. And we have Misty kind of do this flashback thing where she's talking about 
you know, uh, we see a really gross Myrtle basically coming in and warning Misty that someone is coming to a shack with a gun. Right. Hooded figure comes in and starts shooting. Was this Hank? I don't know. I don't know. Or is know. this... I mean, they were wearing a hood similar to the person who threw acid in Cordelia's face. Right. I want to say it's not, because that seems too easy. Because why I, would we I hide think... his identity or her identity? Right. Right. I almost... We had, I think at one point we were discussing some sort of religious movement that had maybe part of the religious movement that had originally burned Misty, and maybe they were the ones responsible for blinding Cordelia. I mean, maybe they were the ones... Maybe it's some religious movement responsible for this, too. Some sort of some sort of cultish evangelicals. Um, I don't know. But that's something that is still up for debate. And I agree with you. I don't necessarily think that it's Hank, because what would be the point of uh, hiding him from us at that point. And also, why would he go after Misty when clearly the more, I mean, he's got seven ones right in front of his house, you know, downstairs from his wife that he could easily pop off. Exactly. And obviously Fiona and Zoe and Madison have shown themselves to be a lot more dangerous than Misty, who just brings people back to life. Although I guess she did kill those crocodile hunters with with crocodiles. Yeah. Yeah. Or alligators, I think. But we, um, so Misty brings back Myrtle to the group and Myrtle and Cordelia have a little bit of a reunion here. Can I just um, say that Frances Conroy, a.k.a. Myrtle, slays this episode. She is so good. She is hands down the MVP. She was very fantastic. Had some excellent, excellent lines. Which oh, my God. Again, I think we could, we could thank Ryan Murphy for that. Yeah. Um, she, when she was talking about how her hair, hair was like imported from North Korea. Yeah. And then, then she like, had oh, another honey. line. <laughs> she I had another this. line about how her or their ancestors, how could they possibly live without a charcuterie plate and a bidet? A or bidet, something like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. Oh, my God. She's so classy, even uh, resurrected. That was that was pretty hilarious. Oh, God bless but you, they, Francis Conroy. They have their resurrection, and this is kind of when Myrtle basically says Misty must be the next Supreme because resurrection is stronger than any of the other Seven Wonders. But if that is the case, then why didn't the rest of the Coven catch on to this earlier? Because it's not like Cordelia... I mean, well, was Cordelia aware of Misty's resurrection power? I don't think she was aware of Misty being alive. Okay, so right because we see her, we see her touch Misty and kind of get Figure on out who that she history. Was. Yeah, right, right. So maybe we, maybe I mean, maybe we just didn't know that because the younger girls didn't know that that was such a incredible right. talent. I do like that they point out because a reason why she is so powerful is because she's brought more people back from the dead than Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty uh, tight. So she has brought a lot of people back from the dead, and just off the top of our head, she's brought back. Obviously, she brought back Myrtle. She potentially brought back Kyle. We're not entirely sure. Right. She brought back herself. Madison. She brought back Madison. Um, she is bringing back a lot of someone in a few animals in about an hour. She brings back another person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She brings back Joan in a little while. Yeah. So I mean, she's she's definitely strong in this power. Um, so they're performing the sacred taking ceremony, and this is actually I thought was cut. Ca- I and didn't the really name understand. Of the episode is right, I almost felt 
I almost felt like this ceremony was just used for the sake of the title of the episode because I didn't understand the point of the ceremony. You know, I was going to ask you because they, they explain it kind of quickly and we only hear about that it's been used three times ever and we kind of hear about the one time, which is where the back in the Salem witch trials when they were trying to escape. The Supreme at the time was too weak to do it, so she essentially sacrifices herself to give all her power over to the next Supreme, who is able mm-hmm. to get everyone to safety and away from the uh, the, the witch trials. Um, but I didn't really understand the process of it and the jump cuts uh, back and forth between historical uh, and present, um, uh, the, the process of this... Uh, um, procedure ceremony ceremony mm-hmm. thank you um i don't know i didn't i, I was kind of confused by it I, I didn't understand it and it didn't have, seem to have a a, a place uh in the storyline for me outside of I them agree. trying to kill fiona because they want to get her powers into whoever the next supreme is right so it seemed to me like it well first of all it looked very cool visually yeah but it just you're, you're right it didn't make it didn't make sense in the context of the story because fiona's already dying because the supreme is gaining power and so what the point of you know the ceremony is i mean why wouldn't killing fiona just give the supreme new power anyway so my only potential theory is that something about this ceremony makes it more clear who the next supreme is like they you know how when they were talking about how misty's feet should be burning or something like that maybe you know by killing by the or supreme sacrificing herself yeah or yeah or that so maybe by the supreme di- like sacrificing herself and dying so quickly like uh power flows faster than normal into the new supreme and so that's like she feels mm. excuse me these so, burning sensations that's what they were trying to do like it was trying to like uh you know elucidate who the next supreme is that's what it was, that was? yeah it seemed like it was a transfer of power because you know when they're when before Fiona, you know, walks in later, when Myrtle's at the piano playing the song, they're they're basically waiting for Misty to feel some sort of sensation that indicates what I only assume to be new power rushing into her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I was like, why are they doing this when Fiona's not even dead yet? But they were doing it to prepare for Fiona dying. Right. So that's, I mean, that's my best Got guess. It. But if anybody else has a better theory or idea of what necessarily this, you know, the procedure yeah. the ceremony was for please feel free to share um, so i did want to bring up ahead. real quickly like in the circle when they're doing this they're all talking about are you it are you it are you going to be it and they're all talking about how basically not not very many of them want to be it <laughs> well and i mean cordelia makes the point that it's, it's not really a privilege to be this it's a burden they've all yeah many of them have like been super stressed and a lot of them have died from it and fiona's only survived for as long as she has because she's ran away from it the whole time right anyway continue so, up in Fiona's room, who, she's still there, by the way, even though they're, like, plotting to kill yeah. her. She's just upstairs vomiting. She so, clearly, she's yeah. just so, she's just, well, she's just so out of it, I guess, that no one really gives a shit that she's upstairs sick. Which seems that she would be a pretty easy target, but I don't know. So, the clock hits midnight, and all of a sudden, music comes on. She comes out into her bedroom and sees Madison dancing in a bright red dress and she's looking um about as young and beautiful as she was before she was killed by Fiona. very ethereal very ethereal and also i i mean i think it's also supposed to be part of the effect of you know 
Fiona's chemotherapy drugs and stuff like that is once again you're not really sure and this seems to be a theme with Fiona's like you're not really sure how much of the her blurred vision like what's really going on and what's kind of her perspective you know so we see Madison in there um she kind of gives this whole speech about how she says surprise bitch she resurrected herself (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. she resurrected herself she says and she's the next supreme and now they're gonna burn Fiona at the stake right poor Fifi and Fiona's powers aren't what they were. She can't seem to open the door. I think part of that might be psychological, and part of that also might be the other witches were like forcibly doing something altogether right. to like suppress her from seeing, you know, that her powers were fine. Right. Because um, later she seems to have just fine powers. But Madison gives her these pills to basically. She says, "Here's your two options. You can OD on." Pain meds pills. and go out how you are, or we can burn you at the stake tomorrow. Right. I also want to point out. Hey, also, here's you know choice again, choosing mm-hmm. how you're going to go out, or, or basically choosing life or death too. Um, the whole time this is happening, we're listening to "Season of the Witch," which I believe we played as an outro song uh, originally by Donovan, but I don't know who did this version, so I'll have to look that up. Mm, it was good. It was great. I, it was it, it fit well. Must be um, the season of the witch. Beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. If only the Axe Man was there to accompany you. This is the voice. <laughs> you should audition next time. Um, uh, so Fiona decides she's going to take Fiona decides she's going to take option C, and she's not going to get burned or take ODM pills, and she's going to pack her suitcase and leave. When Myrtle shows up, hey girl. Mm-hmm. And. Fiona basically kind of breaks down here, and she talks about how with the Axeman she's finally found someone she belongs to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Myrtle pretty easily convinces Fiona that the Axeman is going to leave her and that it's not a real thing. Was Were they implanting these ideas in Fiona's head, or was Fiona envisioning this as they said it? I couldn't really tell. What did you I th- think? I think they were planting the ideas in her head. She was already trippy anyway from her pain meds, and by doing this, they're getting her to envision what her life could be uh, if it pans out the way that they're telling her it'll pan out and she believes right. them for the most part obviously she believes them she she's convinced um by madison you know kicks off the operation let's get her to commit suicide uh and then myrtle just kind of finishes it off with there there is no chance for you after this like this is it the the most noble thing you can do is just you know step down and uh die and I gotta tell you, I really love the like. We we talked about you know how great Kathy Bates and Angela Bassett are together too. This scene between Frances Conroy and Jessica Lange, I thought great. was really fantastic. Yes, another where, great scene. Yeah, where Fiona is, you know, Myrtle says that Fiona is preparing the corpse as she, um, you know, has her turban on and is putting makeup on just to kill herself. Basically, she's she is she's. It's a very morbid way to think of it that she's putting on makeup so she can die, and when people f- find her dead or whatever, right. she still looks pretty. You know? Totally, totally in pace with her character, though, right? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but Fiona, you know, is telling Myrtle that she sees no good at this point in regretting the selfish decisions she's made. But at the same time, she kind of contradicts herself later by saying that the failure of Cordelia will torment her for eternity. Mm-hmm. So. As, I think that maybe she's just trying to convince herself that, you know, everything she's done, she had good reason to. But, Cord- you know, what do you think? Um, when she says the failure of Cordelia, is she just referring to her own parenting skills? <laughs> like, her lack yeah. of parenting? Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's a relationship that she, you know, 
has totally screwed up and she knows she has uh so i think she's she, she has a lot of regret for that you know mm-hmm. so she takes the pills to kill herself and I like how immediately after Myrtle goes and steals her jewelry was kind of another Amazing. <laughs> hilarious Brilliant. moment Brilliant. there. Yeah. Of course, Fiona is then awoken by none other than Spalding, who once again we've as we've mentioned before, no one who dies is actually dead in this series, apparently. At least not in this season. Um Although, he tells us that he is dead, but he's like a spirit, so I'm assuming... Is he is he like what the Axeman was, where he's kind of like in between worlds right now? Or? I, I don't know, but I was so annoyed to see him. I, you know, it's I understand that he's supposed to be um, an ally for uh, Fiona to get her to barf everything up with Ipecac, but... Again, death means nothing in this show, so there are no stakes. So I don't, yeah. I, I I don't know. I didn't care if he was like in between or if he was a reemerged spirit in a human form or what, whatever he was. I, I don't know. But it was kind of like, come on, really? This is this is such an easy way out. Again. I agree with you. I was I was really hoping he was. I mean, I love I love Dennis him. O'Hare. He's a great him, actor, but not but for I purpose. just for the character, I was hoping that he was gone because I don't want to see people keep coming back to life. Right, or not for so, just the sole device to get Fiona to snap out of it. Right. So he tells Fiona he's been watching everything that they're messing with her, and that Madison is not really a supreme. Which I don't know why that really should even matter to Fiona because that's not the point of what she's doing. But um. I don't know. She she tells him that she's trying to do something decent, and then he tells her the truth, and she decides she's not going to kill herself anymore. She's going to avenge the people that murdered Spalding and the people that tried to murder her. So she's completely back to being old Fiona. So as they're playing kind of the dirges downstairs and waiting for Misty's feet to get heated up, basically, to indicate that Fiona's finally dead, she shows back up downstairs. Right. Looking beautiful uh, and immaculate. And, uh, yes, looking beautiful and immaculate and lighting her cigarette with her magic, which was pretty badass. I loved it. Uh, before we get into this scene, I have a question for you. So we've seen Fiona throw up twice uh, in this episode, once early on from her disease, and then later on from her uh, trying to barf up the pills that were going to kill her. Both these things are going to kill her, and her body is rejecting it. One, it's rejecting it on, you know, just on principle biologically you know her body can't handle whatever it's in there but the second time it was by choice choice hey hey mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well yeah for choice to live i guess in this she cho- she's choosing I mean, to live she's choosing between the light and dark literally the light of life mm-hmm. and the dark of death i think that's an excellent point um uh, yeah, I wrote down vomiting scene parallels, one for disease, one for suicide. Meaning? Question mark. And like, of course, the meaning is obvious. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think you made a good point at the beginning here that choice is such a a constant throughout this episode. I do like the parallel of it, though. Yeah, no, it was it was it's well done parallel, and there was I mean there was a lot of that of well done you know plotting and positioning of these choices in this episode i hate that spaulding shows up too i'm sorry to go back again and he all his purpose is to get her to stop and then he just rats all the other girls out oh yeah well but he i mean obviously we saw this before that he's crazy committed to her and so yeah. he's i mean that was i felt like that part was consistent with his character but i just didn't like that he was back alive yeah. again 
And he's a snitch. He is a dirty snitch. Although not unless not when it's regarding Fiona, he's not. Right. That's a good point. Uh, so Fiona's looking for Misty, who pretty much like it almost looked Bounced. like she like teleported herself over to yeah. Luke's. But I think that it was just a time lapse there. They were yeah. walking over. Um, she's over at the crime scene where Luke and Joan are lying dead on the ground, and I think Luke's not dead. I think Luke's just injured. Right, Luke is severely injured. Um, but Fiona shows up, and they have um, their first meeting, a little bit of a confrontation. Yeah. And are you the swamp witch? We heard that like seven times. We certainly did. That was with as much disdain as you just articulated. And Fiona asks Misty to resurrect Joan. Basically, I think to just kind of some like it's kind of like a for how strong her powers were. Yeah. And uh, she Misty does, does it. Though. I, I mean, don't understand why she's like okay. She, I'll do she, it. she does, and then she but then she passes out immediately after. Right. So Which, again, that kind of makes me wonder. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, is she not as strong as we thought she was? But what, oh. what are you going to say? <laughs> I was going the opposite way, being like, something's up with Patty Lapone. She's not a normal person. I, th- I mean, that could, definitely, that could definitely be an indicator, too. She's never right? passed I, I, out I, after bringing someone back before. Why is this one so different? Right. Exactly. I think that's a good point, too. So, yeah, because she's brought a lot of people back before and hasn't had any struggle. Did you? I mean, yeah. f- I mean, f- I, for God's sake, Myrtle was burned at the stake and was like a pile of ash, and she brought her. That was a lot harder. So why, yeah, why would this woman who just has some bullet wounds be so much tougher? Kyle was sewn together body parts. Yes, mm-hmm. but then again, we don't know that that wasn't Zoe who did right. that. Or yeah, um, how much did you love it though? When after Misty fainted, kind of dramatically, Fiona just kind of like stands there and then just rolls her eyes so hard. <laughs> that was so tight. Uh, so, uh, classic uh, Jessica Lang. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and so this whole Fiona um Salem, you know, the inter- inner battle turmoil for the Salem which is kind of it gets wrapped up at the end. It almost feels like when they, you know, Fiona finds or Cordelia finds a silver bullet outside, mm-hmm. which she knows is from a witch hunter but she has not yet linked Tank somehow. Well, we have a scene where Fiona Coffee praises right. Cordelia for her grit. And she touches Fiona and tells her she's proud of her. And it's like they have a moment. And then all of a sudden, Cordelia's okay with Fiona again. Yeah, that I mean, was real easy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess what... I drew from it is what they're essentially saying is like there's too many outside forces. You know, they had this revelation after touching, you know, after looking at the bullet that, right. you know, there's a witch hunters out there, there's the voodoo witches out there. There's too many outside forces for us internally to be fighting against each other. Right, right, yeah. And yeah, the, and what Fiona sees, what they try to do to her, she's like, all right, these girls have some, like you said, grit. There's hope for them. Um, and she's proud of them that they're uh, ballsy enough to step up and fight, which obviously, ultimately, we know Fiona's. Kind of trying to go to battle again, though I don't remember why anymore because Laveau is doing her thing. I, I, you know, I know they're supposed to hate each other, but I already forget why, and that's not a good sign. Well, and I think maybe that's one of the I don't 
I think that's one of the lessons here is it's like they just they are determined that they can't coexist because two such powerful whatever groups can't yeah. coexist together who are natural enemies. But it's not it's not even clear why they're natural enemies and yeah, why they can't coexist together. I forget. Together, you know? I mean, yeah, I don't. You know. Well, I, the reason the truce yeah. was broken in the first place is because um, Fiona brought back she brought back La Lurie, Oh yeah, remember because she wanted to get her uh, recipe for. Youth, you know, eternal Pretty. life or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's why Laveau got pissed and the truce was broken because she didn't like the fact that Lalaurie was rescued. Right. So that's I, why the truce yeah. was broken initially. Again, and also, well, you're going to go into this, but Lalaurie's like this pawn now. But really, if you ask either of these people, I mean, Laveau hates Lalaurie, but neither of them like seem like they care that much about her they've been using her that well except as a pawn now but really neither of them like care that much about her they just needed something from her i don't understand why it's, no. a, it's a toy between the two now not queenie cares more about yeah Valerie than anybody else <laughs> like you i don't know yeah finish this off so ding dong ding dong oh yeah <laughs> and so it's it's a box and what's it i mean we all obviously we saw this we all knew what same we sort of right. scene yeah we saw this same scene when um Laveau opened the box to find Bastion's head, which was also still moving, mm-hmm. um, let's remember. And so we opened this box to find Lalaurie's head, which, once again, it, I mean, I was like you said, like you said, why would Fiona really care that much? <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like she'd just be like, oh, you sent me back Delphine's head in a box. Why do I give a shit? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Now I can, like, talk to her more about the, um, yeah, again, like, that's not like a, I don't get that. It's not, why does, why would she care? And... Yeah, and they try to make it super dramatic too. Like that was our cliffhanger there, right. and it was kind of like, like yeah, throwing why would... down the gauntlet? Yeah, but it was like I don't see Fiona being like, oh, I got to go seek revenge for this shit now. Yeah. It's just kind of like, uh, oh, she okay, killed her. So, who cares? Uh, yeah, whatever. I'm just gonna set her head on the mantle. It's like, the, isn't it the haunted mansion, uh, it, the Disney haunted mansion, where you have like singing heads? Yep. They yeah. can just keep. Yeah, they could just keep Lalaurie's La, La head on the mantle and have it sing. <laughs> yeah. Although it appears to have lost his voice a little bit once she had her yeah. head removed from her. I'm sure Missy will course. sew her back together and bring her back, though. Oh, I'm sure, too. <laughs> uh, Misty's. That's. <laughs> Misty can't seem to stop herself from bringing people back to life. Um, so that's how that storyline ends. The one thing I didn't really touch on and I only want to talk about quickly because I have to admit that every time this storyline came up, I just groaned. Because uh, every time it popped up, it started with Frank and Kyle, like, being an idiot. Oh, and, yeah. Like, trying to learn, like, on the computer some, like, children's game. Also, he's not only is he still an idiot, he's, like, now super horny all the time. And wants to... Yeah. Every okay. time a girl comes in the room, he wants to, like, make out and get on that. Yeah. <laughs> he's... But, uh... And we learned that the, that the two girls, Madison and Zoe, are sharing him. They're sharing him, and they seem to have different philosophies about yeah. him. Uh, Zoe wants to integrate him back into society, basically, by making him more intelligent and making him back into the person he was. Whereas, Madison. I would say Madison's view seems to be more along the lines of, like, he should just stay who he is, and he, you know... Right. He's experienced death, and he's never going to be the same now that he's came back. I mean, obviously, yeah. she yeah, of all people would know that. We have one girlfriend who yeah. wants to change her man, and we have one who wants to not uh, uh educate him yeah keep him the same doesn't want him to better himself so and then of course this this scene uh, or this storyline ends with kyle telling 
finally talking again. So maybe he'll finally start talking again and stop In groaning. a real breathy way, because it, apparently oh, it's yeah. really difficult to talk, but he can beat mm-hmm. people up real easily. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he tells Zoe that he is in love with her. And Madison, who's for some reason wet, I don't think we understand why she's wet. Like, was she taking a shower she took or a something? Shower. It didn't... <laughs> Just when there's a shooting next door, she decided it would be a good time to yeah. go take a shower. That's Madison. <laughs> she, uh, she overhears this and gets really upset. But, like... Again. I don't know. Place. I didn't understand. And I didn't understand. It is true. So it was Kyle's place. Also, but though, like... How do we even know that Kyle knows what love is or what love means or anything? Well, I don't understand why Madison was so upset by right. this at this point. Right? Yeah. I, I. I. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I do love this show a lot, but the the whole rules on like when people come back, like you know, Kyle couldn't talk, but Myrtle is like whip smart and being super funny and sassy and witty immediately after she comes out of her mud bath. Like I don't. I don't get how that's different. And then the zombies. When they come out, they can't talk at all. I, that's a little weird. But the zombies that came back were from a voodoo spell. They weren't from a resurrection. So are we thinking the coven thing. is, you know, stronger because they can make people really come back and not just as monsters? Well, it just seemed like it was a different function almost, you know? Like the monsters were, like the zombies were meant to be uh, like demon things that kill people. Whereas when yeah. the Salem coven resurrects people, they're resurrecting them, like bring them back to life. And once again, I think we talked about this before, like maybe Kyle is worse off because he's an amalgamation of parts instead of like, you know, the same person being brought, being brought completely back. But even even if that is the case, it, I agree with you. It's still a weak theory. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, again, as we've all, I think most of us, especially the people that have written into us, agree, Kyle's kind of a waste. If his point in this whole story, the only purpose is for him to create a love triangle and a riff in between uh, Zoe and Madison, it's kind of weak. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer. Agreed. Or it's a waste of time. Like Every time we flash back to him playing on his little kid computer game, I was like, come on, we could be spending time with... Uh, with uh, Laveau and Lalaurie, or uh, please God, more Myrtle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just groaned every. I groaned. I made his noise every time it came back to him. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. anyway, so final thoughts on this episode. What kind of rating do you give it? I, I, as much as I don't like Kyle, surprise, surprise. Um, I still had a good time with it. I like that Misty's in the house. I like mm-hmm. that she's integrated. And even though it ends really bizarrely, like this whole episode didn't seem like it had a point besides for them to realize that there's a bigger enemy outside of the walls, like you mentioned. I do like that we're now at the place where the coven is kind of, even though there's tension and conflict in some of the relationships within the coven, it seems like they're all kind of, they fused together um, to take on the battle that, Fiona sees uh, is on the horizon with the voodoo people. Um, Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed that. I would give this episode 3.75. Mostly because of Myrtle. You and your your quarters. I know. It's not really a four, but it's not a three and a half. Mm -hmm. Mostly because of Frances Conroy coming back. That was fantastic. She was great. I love her. I want more. She was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. So I'm going to tell you, okay, so I'm going to start off by saying I was not, once again, not a fan of the Kyle aspect. And also, I didn't like that Spalding came back. Oh, right. Um, but I did think that there was a lot of good moments in this episode. I do like that the Salem Coven's finally kind of coming together. I do like that we kind of see Queenie questioning herself a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Queenie's um, a great character and underutilized. 
I also thought the writing was excellent on this episode, which we we already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Another thing I want to say, too, is maybe the reason that Hank has to use these special silver bullets is somehow it prevents the witches from, like, if you're shot with a silver bullet, you can't be brought back to life. Because they're werewolves, of course. But then then again, but then again... um, Joan is brought back to life after getting shot by a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. So maybe that, I mean, that can't be it. So what's the point of the silver bullets then? I don't understand. I mean, maybe that's what made Misty pass out or something. I don't know. That's just a theory too. But I guess that's another thing I did like about this episode is all the questions it raised. Like, what's the deal with Joan? Why is she, I mean, you and I both agree. She's got something up. What's going on with her? Um, who is the Supreme now? Because I had totally been convinced that it was Zoe. I mean, we debated earlier on that it could have been Misty, but they kind of really had us going that it was Zoe. And now it's kind of like, we don't really know who it is. It even could, it could be Nan. We're not quite sure. So I kind of like that it threw it up in the air again. Although, for the record, I still think it's going to be Zoe. Um, That's my question for you. Okay, give your score, and then I got a few questions to ask. Uh, so I would go ahead. I'm going to do the same as you. I this is my first score in which I give a, a quarter a fractals, quarter. but I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it three and three quarters, which makes it a solid uh, seven and a half, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's not All bad. Right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, it was yeah. certainly better. I think we gave the last episode not a great review. So, right. It's bouncing back. Questions. Number one. Hit me. Why would, they wa- why would someone want to kill the, the uh, Christian family next door? What's, what's up there? What do you think it is? I don't think we have enough clues yet, to be honest. No, I mean, I, I, at this you point, I'm still, like I'm still pro. I mean, I'm still prone to say that potentially it was just it was an accident mm-hmm. he was like maybe there was a curtain closed and he was really trying to shoot for man yeah because that's that's okay. my best guess because we don't know enough about the christian family uh okay question two. Oh, question one i don't agree with you but question two will <laughs> queenie switch back i don't well yes but i don't know that she will like switch back and fight for the other side but it might be something that comes like way later on that like she totally regrets her decisions and does something like we said potentially self-sacrificial to, for the sake of Madame Lalaurie or for her sisters back at the Salem Coven, but betraying or somehow um, putting them in an advantageous position against Laveau. Right. Um, what do you think about that one? I want to hear your answer. Yeah, I think she will. And I think I like what you're saying, how she may switch back, but it won't be like a complete like allegiance change. It'll be a, she'll help out her friends at the end when it matters. Mm-hmm. And I think right. that will include Lalaurie as well mm-hmm. helping her out to kind of redeem herself for that betrayal yeah but anyway how funny would it be though if we get uh kyle's wait lollery's head on kyle's body <laughs> i like that yeah uh maybe he maybe he wears her head like the uh, minotaur head oh god she she has a pretty big head oh god that the show would just jump the shark at that point probably <laughs> Um, final question. Well, you kind of answered this already. Who is the next Supreme? I think it's Zoe. Who do you think? I don't know. I kind of got excited about Nan being it now when she opened that door. Yeah. But I think it could be. I think it would be awesome if it was Nan. Yeah. I think it could be, um. Misty? Misty, though. Although, I, I still, I think the dark horse here is Cordelia. We see, okay, so we see that she gets her sight back coming up. Yes. We'll have to see how that exactly. happens. Um, and Hank looks like he's going to get it bad. 
He's going to be screwed. Oh, yeah. His secret's out of the bag. Hank is going to get fucked by one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the good sense. I mean mm-hmm. that in the bad sense. Um, so let's leave that as kind of our open poll for this following week. People weigh in on who you think the next Supreme is, because now it seems like any option is up for grabs. So we want to hear what you think. And, of course, we want to hear what you think. Uh, email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. Leave us comments on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. Or you can comment on iTunes. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up before we finish up is uh, Alfonso Gomez Rejon directed this episode, mm. and I, think, I could yeah, that was evident with all the shadows, especially when uh, Myrtle is in the bedroom with uh, um, Fiona, and you get the shadows. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was as sleek as it was in some of the episodes we've seen in the past. Some of it felt Agreed. framed a little awkwardly with the shadow not being that exciting or prominent. But it was so mm. cool. It's still cool. Yeah, he does a lot and of interesting perspectives. He's good at doing the like flashbacks to late older yeah, times too, because he he's he did that a lot in Asylum too. When yeah. you like with his, although I, that part was confusing to me, the story story wise, I still thought it was like it looked cool mm-hmm. when he flashbacked to Salem there and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm still a fan of his. But uh, anyway, anyway, I'm on Twitter. At Chris Eustad, where, oh. where are you, Tyler? <laughs> you can find me at TJ Moss Eleven. All right, folks. Well, thanks for joining us. It's getting late. Yep. I'm gonna go have some dreams about American Horror Story. <laughs> you. Good night. All right. Happy hauntings, everybody. When I look out my window, many sights to see. And when I look in my window. So many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every